0: The sounds of the screaming. scary at night, oh, I'm dreaming of a fright Christmas, just like the ones in Germany. From perched up, spills their entrails on the floor. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like Icelandic yesteryears, where the Grila comes astriding. Her children bring bad tidings as they steal all the children and cook them in their stew.
1: Welcome, everybody, to Pixelated Paranormal, episode 17, the Christmas special. Yay! Yay! Yay. Um, Unfortunately, we are without Robert tonight. He couldn't be here to record with us, but um, I think that's okay.
2: He uh, doesn't have uh, any holiday spirit, and right now he's being beat by the Belschnickel.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or he was carried <laughs> <laughs> or he was carried away straight to the bowels of hell by the Krampus. Who knows? We don't know. We have no clue. But the good news is, guys, we have a pretty uh, action-packed show for you tonight, uh, today, whatever time it is you're listening. We're going to be talking about a lot of different stuff today. Um, the lesser-known history of Santa Claus. We're going to talk about some of uh, St. Nick's traditional companions like Krampus and the Belschnickel and some of the other more dastardly creatures. Um Eskimo shamans who get high on shrooms, right, Preston? Oh, yeah. And some scary ghost stories, and we may even bring it around and talk about uh, Super Mario Brothers. Who knows? Maybe we'll sneak them in there somehow. But uh... dun, 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 dun. <clears throat> It's the same thing we did last night. So yeah. Um, yeah, the magic is still here. The magic's still there. Guys, we already recorded this show once, and uh, due to some technical difficulties, we lost the entire thing. But the good news is we're back, and we're going to do it again. So um, first of all, we wanted to talk about movies briefly. Uh, Christmas movies. Right now on TV, on cable, they are just uh, ramrodding everybody with all the classics. And, um, you know, Christmas Story, Christmas Vacation. I feel like with movies, with Christmas movies, it always comes down to those two. It's always like 50% of the people I talk to love a Christmas story and the other half love uh, Christmas Vacation. Which one do you like? If you had to pick one, what would it be?
2: Between those two, like I can't, uh, I can't pick Die Hard.
1: Well, I mean, Die Hard's kind of like your, your, atypical, your atypical Christmas movie, but if you had to pick between just those two classics, Christmas Story and Christmas Vacation, what movie would you pick if you had to pick?
2: Oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to go with The Christmas Story.
1: See? And I'm going to go Christmas Vacation. There you go. Every time, call me a, a Scrooge McDuck, but I'm just not a big fan of *Christmas Story*. No, at all. No, I mean it, it's okay.
2: When little Ralphie uh, sticks his uh his tongue to the uh, to the pole and gets stuck on a dare, and uh, he gets shot in the uh, eye with the Red rider BB gun, like that's classic.
1: It's it's classic, but I think I'd rather just see uh, Randy Quaid emptying uh, his shitter into the sewer. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, I guess that gets my goose. But, um, what about you know, there's also, well, Earth, go ahead. What about Ernest Saves Christmas? Oh, man, that was from left field. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Ernest Saves Christmas is one of the best movies ever made, I, I believe, full-heartedly, man. It's on Netflix right now. It's, oh, shit. Well, never mind. Let's just record this some other time. I'm going to go watch that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Home Alone is always a good one. Um, and then, okay, so atypical Christmas movies. Christmas movies not typically shown on you know the Hallmark Channel or uh, whatever the new family channel is called this week. Um, you said your favorite was? Krampus. Okay, well, you said Die Hard earlier, but we'll go with uh, Krampus as well. Oh
2: well, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> no, you're I thought fine. My other atypical one would be Krampus, <laughs> right, right. but Die so Hard. So
1: you're you're a Die Hard fan. You will argue that that is a Christmas movie, and I will believe you.
2: Yeah, it's got. It takes place. The first one takes place on Christmas. Right. There is Christmas trees in there. There's Christmas music, <laughs> and the second Die Hard takes place days before Christmas and has. Christmas lights and Christmas music in it as well and a fucking airport. They're both Christmas movies.
1: So it's just a bunch of people fornicating in an airport, huh? There you go. There you go. Um my favorite alt Christmas movie would be The Gremlins. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I'm pretty sure it, it could be themed as a Christmas movie if I remember right. I think didn't he get the uh the Mogwai for, for a Christmas. Christmas present? He he I, did. Yeah. There you go. So that movie to me I've always associated that with Christmas, but uh we'll we'll just cut to the chase, man. I think both of our favorite uh a favorite movie of both of us now for Christmas is, has has to be Krampus, right?
2: Oh, yes, definitely. With the uh, little demon gingerbread cookies that come to life and uh just the uh just the overall way they filmed the the movie is very artistic and uh, I loved it from start
1: to finish. Yeah, we went to see it and I had zero expectations um especially because of the comedic cast. Uh there weren't really any huge heavy hitters. They all they all felt like, you know, you're uh you're really good backup supporting uh comedy actors, but none of them really had me that turned on to make it think it was going to be a good movie and I was delightfully proven wrong um from start to finish like you said it was really funny. Uh it was strange. It got really creepy in some parts. You had the um yeah, the Christmas angel that attacked everybody in the gingerbread and Krampus himself man was just done really well. So if you guys haven't seen that you have to check out uh Krampus it was a fantastic movie.
2: Now uh this is uh this is actually semi Christmas related. I was watching on Netflix. It's called uh Undocumented Alien Cases.
0: <laughs> and, of course you were.
2: Uh they uh they were talking about how they uh, the astronauts on Apollo 8 and 11 and so forth had code names for everything. So when they would see flying saucers, they'd be like, there's a bogey, there's a rocket. And uh, the most classic one was Santa Claus. So in Apollo 8, you can hear them say, uh, Houston, uh, we indeed uh, proved today that there is a Santa Claus. Uh, roger that off the left window, Santa Claus uh, flying by. And huh. so, some uh, UFO theorists believe that uh, it's quirky enough that we people, normal people, might think that. That, you know, there's nothing to it, but in fact that the, that is known that they used, uh, Santa Claus as a reference for aliens. So Apollo eight saw Santa Claus.
1: So crazy that it just might work. So, um, what about TV shows, man? You got any favorite TV shows that had a, a very special Christmas episode that you can recall?
2: Uh, when uh, Bender takes on the evil Santa Claus robot in Futurama, <laughs> right? That's and, a classic. Uh, any Doctor Who, man. Doctor Who has badass Christmas uh, specials. So
1: yeah, that's that's very true, man. I think I've never seen a Christmas uh, story from Doctor Who I didn't enjoy. Even the ones that were so you know a little bit ho hum were still pretty awesome. So um, my favorite, I I saw probably about five six years ago. I finally watched uh, episode 11 of season 2 of Twilight Zone, and there's a episode entitled Night of the Meek. And, man, I probably popped really loud on that K. That was a hard K. But, yeah, Night of the Meek is a really good episode of Twilight Zone, and it has to do with kind of like this drunkard, uh, derelict Santa Claus who's trying to redeem himself and find some some good in the world after everybody just basically thinks he's a worthless loser so definitely check that one out and then uh, we always talk about the show a modern day twilight zone that's black mirror Uh, black mirror has an episode called white christmas i think it's in season two and it's a fantastic episode you haven't got there yet though have you
2: i have not and speaking of season two american horror story season two uh, asylum uh, i think it's uh, episode seven episode eight they have a psychotic Santa Claus that goes around and kills people. So definitely check that one out, too, for a darker Christmas tale.
0: <laughs> a little bit
1: darker. Um, what about Christmas songs? Do you have any favorite Christmas songs? Mm, no, not really. Not really? I uh, My favorite of all time is not quite on the, uh, the list of carols sung door-to-door, but I love Weird Al Yankovic's um, The Night Santa Went Crazy. Have you heard that song?
2: <laughs> I have not.
1: Oh, you're doing yourself a disservice, my friend. It's what, it's one of the best.
2: What about the Bruce Spring sings uh, where he uh, caught Mama kissing Santa Claus?
1: It's a pretty good one. Um, that's a really good one, actually. I've always liked that one. You know, I I never really had a, a core favorite because I think they're all okay. But um, recently I heard Straight No Chaser's rendition of 12 Days of Christmas. And if you haven't heard that, they're like an acapella group. You should listen to that as soon as we're done recording, and all of you guys should look that up on YouTube. Straight No Chaser is the name of the group, and they have the Twelve Days of Christmas, and it's it's truly fantastic. So, well, um, I think we got a little bit of news, right? We should share a little bit of news.
2: We do. It is uh, a s- sad news in the paranormal world this week. Dallas Gilbert, the world's greatest Bigfoot hunter, has passed away at age sixty-seven. Dallas was well-known in the Bigfoot research circles for his mountains of photographic evidence and theories that pushed the boundaries of cryptozoology. But most of all, he was one of the kindest souls in the paranormal community. We met Dallas when he was featured in the documentary Not Your Typical Bigfoot Movie, which followed the struggle of him and his friend Wayne Burton as they attempted to capture evidence of Sasquatch near the hometown of Portsmouth, Ohio. The documentary went on to garner great reviews at dozens of the country's biggest film festivals, including the XSSW. Uh, have you seen that film, Sean?
1: I have. Um, SXXW or SW is South by Southwest, kind of a uh, a Canes or a Sundance film festival. It's um, a Sundance-esque film festival that's kind of up and coming with a lot of music and, and movies. Um,
2: we'll have to check out Not Your Typical Bigfoot. But while much of his work was often met with a skeptical eye and even harsh criticism, By the greater Bigfoot research community, you would be hard-pressed to find anyone who was more dedicated to the work than Dallas Gilbert. The walls of his office were covered floor to ceiling with thousands of photographs that he had snapped of the creature over the years and shelves of VHS tapes lined the room. Each filled with countless hours of field time spent in the rural woods, he could tell you what was on every single one, where he captured it, and what it meant for his search. Rest in peace, Dallas, and thank you for your work in the paranormal community. Yeah, man.
1: What a guy. What a guy. What a guy. What a guy. Um, I've got a little bit of Christmas-themed news, because why wouldn't I? So I think I'll start with the sad stuff first. Apparently, scientists in Paris have been doing a study, and Norwegian reindeer apparently have been shrinking due to global warming. Have you heard about this? I have not. Apparently, over the last 16 years, the weight of adult reindeer in Svalbard, Svalbard, Norway, in the Arctic, has dropped by 12%, due most likely to the effects of global warming. Um, By the time they reached adulthood, reindeer who were born in 2010 were weighing in around 106 pounds, compared to the previous 118 pounds the other control subjects were weighed in at in 1994. So they say 12% may not sound very bad or like very much weight, but given how important the body weight is to reproduction and overall survival of reindeer, this is potentially very huge and is basically going to lead to catastrophic die-offs is what they're saying. The Arctic temperature where these reindeer live is actually about 5 degrees warmer than it was a century earlier. The the warming winters mean more rain. More rain is going to cause the snow to melt and then freeze. And reindeer typically like to eat the lichen that grows underneath the snow, which is basically just a bunch of um, fungus and algae that are living together in harmony or other bacteria. So if the snow melts and freezes and creates a layer they can't munch through, then unfortunately they begin to starve. The reindeer starve and they abort their calves or give off um, a lot more lighter weight births than before. So they're looking at this thinking it's going to be a very um, unfortunate pattern that's going to cause a lot of these... uh, Reindeer to maybe go extinct or at least cut down their uh, numbers at uh, alarming rates. So it says here in a final note, a study earlier this year pointed out that 61,000 reindeer are starving to death in the Yamal Peninsula in Siberia uh, during the winter of 2013 through 2014 due to the rain on snow event as described earlier. So that's a bit of a buzzkill, and that's very unfortunate. So
2: Are the uh, polar bears shrinking in size?
1: You know, I had, I couldn't find anything about that,
2: Well, I will definitely look and, that up. Until that happens, I don't think global warming's a real thing.
0: Hmm.
1: <laughs> God, get out of here with that noise. <laughs> uh I've got a snow globe, by the way. I'm getting in the festive mood. Uh Cory, good old Uncle Corcor, got me a Dead Rising 4 snow globe, so it's got a little Christmas tree with a Christmas hat on and some presents. Aww. And a camera and a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire. And a zombie head inside a Christmas present. So thanks, Uncle Corcor, for that little gem.
2: Geez, Corey, where's mine, you jackass? No,
1: Man. So let's lighten the mood a little bit and talk about what uh, the dominoes in Japan has been trying to do. Basically, they decided this winter, because of the harsh conditions and so much ice and snow, they were going to be delivering pizzas on the back of reindeer. Really freaking bizarre. What they're doing is basically strapping uh, saddles on the back of these reindeer and putting the pizza carriers and pizza warmers on the reindeer, equipping them with GPSs, and then delivering pizza door to door via reindeer. And uh, unfortunately, because they're reindeer and uh, they're sentient beings, but they can't read cell phones, these GPSs are more likely for people to track the reindeer as the wondering where their pizzas are and how long it's going to take to be delivered to them. Um, the problem, unfortunately, is, albeit cute and kind of uh, kitschy, these reindeer aren't having it, and they're discovering it's a very, very, very difficult time to have reindeer deliver pizza door-to-door. So I, uh, last I had read, I think they're actually getting ready to abort the, uh, mission altogether. It looks like they tried, uh, they tried strapping pizza warmers to the back of the reindeer via saddles, and then they turned around and actually tried to do it via sleigh, and the reindeer just were not very excited about it, and weren't playing very, uh, very fair, but they weren't very good sports about it. So
2: this article is a total buzzkill for me because when you were talking about Domino's reindeer in Japan, like literally my mind went to like robot reindeer, like, you know, the Japanese have robot everything. Like this is going to be fucking cool. We got like little robot reindeer delivering pizzas. No, it's a real fucking <laughs> deal. And they're not even doing a good job. Like Epic failed Japan.
1: Right. You would think that if they're for once not going to do something robotic and go with a real live reindeer, they probably would have done about ten years worth of studies and had this thing nailed down to a efficiently well-oiled uh, machine, but uh, not so much this time. They just not they winged so it. Much. Yeah, burn. Well, um, I think we should probably just go ahead and jump into uh, what we're going to talk about tonight. So we're going to talk about Santa Claus uh, first, I think. And we all know Santa Claus is the big jolly guy with the red suit, the white trim, the red hat with a little ball on the end of it. You know, big rosy red cheeks, flying on reindeer to living presence, door to door, chimney to chimney, with a big fat sack over his shoulder, right? That's how we know him.
0: Ho, ho, ho.
1: <laughs> but uh, we did some digging, and we discovered some of the inspiration, some of the lore, some of the changes that have been done over the years. and um, it, was some...
2: a, it was a crazy rabbit hole.
1: It was a weird rabbit hole that started off with everybody's favorite soft drink. It took a weird left turn by Super Mario Brothers, and it landed smack dab in the middle of uh, Siberia. Woo! Yeah, good God. So everybody, uh, fasten your seat belts, grab the reins, tighten up on those reindeer, and join us for this little ride, because uh, we're going to go all over the place, so buckle up. Um, basically, like I said before, we know Santa Claus, big jolly guy, red cheeks, red suit. Reindeer, all that good stuff. Um, but his original um, image was a lot different than what we know today. So uh, traditionally, Santa Claus is based a little bit off of uh, Father Christmas. Father Christmas was a tall, thin man, contrary to the fat, jolly guy we know. Um, he was a little bit more regal, a little bit more respected. Um, he wore a long red robe that kind of came down to his ankles, um, kind of a snowy white trim sometimes, sometimes not. And he was known for
2: Sometimes, an all-white robe, Dolores told me today that she has statues of Father Christmas all white.
1: Really? Interesting. So, maybe Father Christmas in Canada was just uh, wearing the white robe. That's interesting. I didn't know that. But yeah, um, a pretty far cry from the fat, jolly guy that we know today. And Father Christmas is well-known, of course, for um, favoring children as far as... um, taking care of them, looking after them, rewarding them for being good, not in a creepy way. Um, another alias for Santa Claus is good old St. Nicholas, good old St. Nick, who was a Turkish cardinal, and he wore, again, a big elaborate regal fancy red robe with yellow trim all the way down to his ankles. He had the very nice traditional um, saint or uh, cardinal hat, kind of like your pope. Again, very nice... Um, regal deity who kind of did the same thing he looked after the well-being of children he would give them candies and presents and uh basically made sure they were being good and rewarded them for their great behavior um but again this isn't always the case for santa claus he hasn't always been this pretty boy or this saintly fellow he actually used to be a pretty ugly little bastard um <laughs> we talk about krampus and the bell schnickel and some of these other um more dastardly spirits that were kind of uh, companions of Santa Claus, and we're going to get into those again a little bit later. But yeah, Santa Claus originally, outside of Father Christmas and outside of Saint Nick, he actually was a short, um, kind of diminutive little guy. Um, a lot of times depicted as a gnome, kind of a ugly, ugly little gnome, almost troll-like. He was kind of walking around hunched over, and just kind of. Creeping around people's houses, leaving them little gifts here and there, um, munching on the leftover cookies and the milk, and kind of just, uh, you know, an unwanted guest almost in people's houses. Um, Sometimes he was actually portrayed portrayed in a creepier way, almost like a goblin. Sharp teeth, ugly face. Um, He did, however, wear kind of the similar clothing. He had a little bit of a uh, a longer robe, and he wore that traditional gnome-like stocking cap. So... Originally, he was not the cute little pudgy guy that we all knew him to be. He was just a short little troll who um, probably didn't want to be seen. But... Poor guy. Yes. Enter Coca-Cola. One of the strongest arguments for the um, reimagining of Santa Claus, basically the, uh, the mission to clean up his image, was introduced by Coca-Cola. See, they had an illustrator back um, in the early 20th century named Hayden Sunblom, or Sunbloom. Um, he was responsible for a lot of the earlier ads that were painted, you know, in the earliest 20th, early 20th century. Lots of, you know, classic scenes of families and kids enjoying Coke after a baseball game or as a family or with a grandpa. Um, very much kind of like Norman Rockwell-esque uh, scenes. He was tasked with cleaning up the image of Santa Claus as more of a uh, advertisement piece or tool, kind of a, a mascot for Coke in a way. So that's where we then began to see a lot of the... Um, Traditional illustrations of Santa Claus. Instead of being an ugly, dirty old little troll, he was cleaned up to be a uh, more of a human form, kind of a jolly uncle or grandpa type looking guy, uh, big rosy cheeks, kind of chubby, a nice uh, beautiful red robe, white trim, a uh, big fat sack over his back, going door to door to living presence, and a uh, deep belly laugh, ho, 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 flying on reindeer, and uh, we saw a lot of that image across uh, the world, man. Statues and posters, and uh, what was your, <laughs> what were you saying last night? Where did we see him the most?
2: Uh, on uh, the uh, popcorn tins, you know those little popcorn tins that uh, everybody always buys. Those cheap five-dollar popcorn tins that have the cheese and butter and caramel popcorn. That guy is always on those.
1: <clears throat> right. So Santa Claus is probably responsible for a ton of popcorn sales and everything else, man. Coca-Cola ran wild with their rendition of Santa Claus. Um, But, however, that may not quite be the case. Basically, people are arguing Coca-Cola is solely responsible for the modern-day reimagining of the jolly old fat man that we know as Santa Claus. But the truth may run a little bit deeper, and one may even suggest it's a more fungal explanation of the modern-day duds, right? Right.
2: Right. So we just talked about Father Christmas. We talked about the plump Coca Cola Santa, and then that ugly little bastard gnome Santa, which I am kind of partial to. I, I think that that's uh, where we should get back to. But hey, that's just me. Right. But but still, where did these traditions come from? Like you know, him going down the, the the chimney, the outfit, because good old Saint Nick used the front door and not the chimney. So Uh that led some to believe that Santa Claus is nothing more than the modern counterpart to a mushroom-addictive Eskimo shaman. So take that, Coca-Cola, in your face had nothing to do with you. So (laughs) that's right, folks. Santa is a modern counterpart of a shaman who consumed mind-altering plants and fungi to commune with the spirit world. This idea seems to lead all the way back to the ancestral traditions of a number of indigenous Arctic circle dwellers known as the Kamchondales or the Koryaks of Siberia. So see, Sean, it's true, Santa really did come from the North Pole. (laughs) Now, these Koryak shamans would wander around the Siberian forest looking for mushrooms. Now, what does this have to do with the jolly old fat man, you might ask? Well, these shamans wore long red flowing robes with white trim And the color scheme matches the pattern of the Anamita muscaria mushrooms.
1: Okay, so yes, the Anamita muscaria mushroom, better known today as the fly agaric mushroom, is a very colorful mushroom featuring a bright red cap covered with white spots. This mushroom has been the inspiration and also featured in many prominent cartoons such as Walt Disney movies like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and pretty much every other Walt Disney cartoon that took place in the forest or the woods. Um, You've probably also noticed the Amanita muscaria in the Smurf cartoons as well as arguably the most famous video game of all time. That's right, guys. I said I'd do it. We're getting back to it. Mario Brothers. So, Yeah, that's right. Mario and Luigi are popping shrooms and tripping balls just like the Siberian Shaman did. So many years ago. Um, The interesting thing about this mushroom is, like you said before, the colors are red with white spots, ergo directly inspiring the red coats and white trim the shamans wore when they went to gather these mushrooms. Um, The mushrooms are primarily found growing underneath pine trees, conveniently so because the spores travel especially well when attached to pine needles. Now, this mushroom may produce some intense psychedelic hallucinations, causing you to basically trip balls, but when ingested, they're extremely toxic, and they can't be simply plucked from the ground and popped into your mouth and eaten fresh. You have to find other ways to reduce the toxins. Being as though they are considerably less toxic when they're dried out, the shaman would commonly place the mushrooms inside of socks and hang them from the very branches of the same pine trees they found them underneath. As to dry them out before returning to the village with the psychedelic bounty, the shaman would also hang these mushrooms inside of socks above their fireplaces, which sounds just like stockings. What?
2: Mind blown. Mm-hmm. So Mind blown. We, got, we got the color of the robes are important because they are directly inspired by the colors of these mushrooms. And this is a way for the uh-huh. shaman to honor the mushrooms for the gift of knowledge that they supposedly give. Now, you
1: found out some information about the boots that the shamans wore as well. Exactly. So we've described where the coat came from. Um, The hat, I'm going to jump on the hat real quick. The hat is about the only thing that goes back to the ugly little troll bastard Santa Claus as he still wears that gnome-esque stocking cap. But the boots is something everybody wonders where the heck they came from. So because the snow was so high and so deep and so cold, they had to make special boots. So they'd make these, you know, shin-high, knee-high boots out of reindeer skins. And because they'd be um, basically in the elements for most of the winter, the color of these boots would change from the the brown of the uh, leather into a dark black-looking boot because they had been dried out and also, you know, exposed to extreme cold and moisture. So that's where we get the boots from that Santa Claus traditionally wears.
2: So now we have uh, Santa looking like a shaman with a red and white outfit. We got the black mm-hmm. boots, and we got the sack over his mm-hmm. shoulders filled with these dry shrooms. Now, how much more Santa can he get, you ask? Well, instead of being like good old Saint Nick and just knocking on the door, Mr. Mushroom Claus here would have to use a door built on the roof of the yurt. Now, the yurt is like a dwelling or just like a, a hut that the uh, Siberian Eskimos would live in. And the reason why they would have this door on the roof was because when winter would hit, so much snow would pile up that the only way they could get into their house was to climb on top of the roof and enter through this door. And just like our jolly old fat guy, Mr. Mushroom Claws here, we climb down the chimney, so to speak, and put these dried shrooms, a.k.a. gifts of knowledge, in the stockings hanging over the fireplace.
1: Oh. Bam!
2: Another connection just made.
1: <laughs> Another connection.
2: In your face, Coca-Cola <laughs> again. Now,
0: Man. where
2: do the red cheeks and the ho-ho-ho come in? Well... Modern-day people would say that his rosy red cheeks are from the cold, but anyone who has eaten a dried Anamonita muscaria mushroom would experience red flushing in the cheeks, a.k.a. the red rosy cheeks, and the ho-ho-ho is indicative of the bellowing laughter these high-as-kite shamans would make. ho 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 Because they were high as balls.
0: <laughs> they were just
1: tripping balls just tripping with balls. deep, deep belly laughs.
2: Now, one last thing. Not everyone is down for eating dried mushrooms. It has its risk. Some of the toxins are still present, even in its dried form and If you eat too much of it you 're going it 's going to be a little bit painful. But these little boogers are the gift that keeps on giving. See reindeers like them too, and maybe a little bit too much and As they eat them, their digestive system breaks down the poison and leaves all the good stuff to be pissed out. So that's right, the shamans would walk outside and grab themselves a yellow snow cone and get high as fuck off the reindeer piss. And if the (laughs) shamans, after eating this, needed to make some yellow snow of themselves, the reindeers themselves would smell the mushroom in the piss, and the cycle starts all over. This is truly the gift that keeps on giving. Now, the effect of the <laughs> mushrooms on the reindeer would cause them to dance and prance, um, giving some to speculate that this is how we got the names of dancer and prancers. Ah. Now you, yeah. Now, you were going to say something about uh, how uh, the effects of the mushrooms uh, made the reindeers fly really, really high.
1: Yeah, so basically, when you eat these mushrooms and you get your really good uh, your trip or your high from them, it would also induce um, similar feelings like you get whenever you've got a huge jolt of adrenaline. You know, like how moms can see a baby—that's <laughs> kind of gross. You know how moms can see kids laying underneath cars, and you know a forty-year-old mother can run over and lift an entire car off the child yep. just in a sheer surge of just uh, you know raw adrenaline. That's kind of what this would do to people who had the uh, the mushrooms as well. It'd give them a little bit of a uh, superhuman strength or short-term enhancement to some of their uh, um, agilities. So what would happen is <laughs> these reindeer could jump a little higher, run a little faster, and the shaman would come out of their huts probably to take a little pee because they've been you know, just drinking those yellow snow cone slushies and popping the uh, shrooms, they would look over and see these reindeer jumping up um, you know, about as high as the roofs of their yurts. But to them, being in this psychedelic trip, they would be imagining that these reindeer looked like they were flying.
2: By now you can see where we're going with this. That legend had it that the shaman and the reindeer would fly to the North Star to retrieve the gifts of knowledge, which they would then distribute to the rest of the village a.k.a. Santa Claus and his flying reindeers.
1: Bop, boop, bang.
2: Boom, in your face, once again, Coca-Cola, <laughs> bam.
1: I think we've got a pretty strong argument against uh, Coca-Cola there. Yeah. I think we may have just put the final nail in the coffin. <laughs> he's, I, I, think all-
2: I was going to say, he's not a dirty little gnome bastard. He's, you know, he's not Father Christmas. He's a mushroom-poppin' shaman.
1: There you go. I think, you know, just like Christmas, um, traditionally, it's been kind of an amalgam of like four or five maybe more different belief systems, and that's probably like Santa Claus too, you know. If you travel from different country to country, every rendition of Santa is a little bit different, you know, um, depending if it's gonna be Father Christmas or Saint Nick. But uh yeah, I I never knew much about that, how Santa Claus used to be just an ugly little uh little troll creeping around in people's houses. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting. So real quick, let's, I promise let's jump back to Mario brothers for just a moment. Um, I did a little digging and yeah, the red and white mushroom caps that Mario, um, eats or grabs in the video game are those same exact mushrooms that the shamans were eating. Okay. So I promised I'd come back to Mario and I'm going to jump back there real quick. So, um, It turns out the mushrooms that Mario and Luigi typically uh, eat or grab are the same exact mushrooms that the Siberian shamans would uh, consume and go on psychedelic trips. That's right, the same exact mushroom. And to further support that, during an interview, I think, in 2005 with Miyamoto, um, he was asked, you know, what was some of your inspiration for mushrooms? Why mushrooms? And after doing some study, he said that he discovered that specific type of mushroom gave people super strength, allowed them to jump a little higher to feel a little bit bigger, uh, per se kind of maybe make them feel super. You might even be as bold as to say. And that was his, uh, inspiration for the Mario mushroom as well. And then to further look into that, they talk about how, you know, the red and white caps made him grow bigger and feel stronger, and a green mushroom might make him feel like he was invincible or he couldn't die. Ergo, the more green mushrooms you ate, the more lives you had because you felt like you couldn't be killed, and the uh, traditional blue or purple mushroom or pink mushroom, depending which uh, version you played, also would uh, cause you to die if you touched it. So, yeah, our beloved plumber basically was just a shroom-popping drug addict as well. So,
2: Do you know who uh, else liked to uh, drink... Uh Mushroom piss <laughs> the Egyptians they uh ah. you remember that Stella that the, that they had that uh, all the ancient astronaut people say that there's a, shows like a light bulb that would light up the pyramids it looks like a a big kind of bulbous flowery thing, and there's like like this yeah. string thing coming out of it well come to uh-huh. come to find out that that was actually a a bulb of a a, a flower that like had like a mushroom down inside of it. And the priest mm-hmm. would find a little virgin boy and they would make him eat the mushroom because, you know, they didn't want to die. So they'd make the the virgin boy eat it. He would get sick as fuck. And, you know, they would wait till he pissed himself and they would collect that piss. And they would give it to the, you know, the the youngest priest there, and make him drink that. And then he would get a little sick and he'd piss himself. And then the next <laughs> priest would drink it. So this would keep going on and they would keep filtering it down till it got just right. And then the head priest would drink that trip balls, and then uh, bring back the gifts of knowledge.
1: Good God, man. Yeah. So the reindeer had it a little bit better. At least the reindeer got to enjoy a nice little trip yeah. and not kill over. Yeah. That sounds a lot like ayahuasca as well. Um, one of the traditional ways of ayahuasca uh, being prepared was you had to have, what they say, like eight-year-old virgin boys from the village had to chew up the leaves and then spit that back out into the cup. And they'd mix that with other herbs and water and make a tea. So I don't know. I think ayahuasca. If I were to ever try anything, you know, in a controlled setting, so to speak, um, I think ayahuasca would be the one to do. But I don't think I could drink little eight-year-old boy spit tea it just doesn't sound very good at all you
2: know the uh, the major problem with uh, ayahuasca is that you can't actually um ingest it so that you drink the tea and then they when you go to these ceremonies the shamans have to teach teach you how to like puke it back out because if you don't then you get mad shits. so you're sitting here having this like out-of-body experience and the universe is opening up to you and you're shitting yourself at the same time so Oh man, I don't know. I'd be too afraid that I would like not regurgitate it back out in time and then I'm sitting there like having this wonderful experience and like wake back out of it like an hour later and I'm just covered in my own
1: shit. So you just yeah. <laughs> oh. it doesn't sound fun at <laughs> no. all. Good God, man. Well, uh that's no good. Well let's bring it back on topic. We strayed off a little bit too much. Um we said earlier after talking about uh Santa Claus and his ugly ugly little goblin form we would also talk about some of the other um traditional and non-traditional companions of good old Santa claus and so we've got a couple of those uh prepared for you guys here so um i think the best one to jump into first of course is krampus everybody probably knows the name krampus krampus hails in mainly from austria bavaria and the czech republic and some of those neighboring er uh, areas krampus um is a half man half goat demon spawn from hell that's the best way to put it. Um, also, people call him the Christmas Devil. But uh, traditionally, he's covered in black fur or brown fur. He has cloven-hoofed feet, long horns of a goat coming out of his head, and his signature long-pointed, lolling tongue that's damn near too big for his mouth and just kind of wags around as he chases around little kitties and buxom bombshells. Uh, most depictions show Krampus as being bound by chains, or having chains over his shoulders, or sometimes even carrying chains covered in bells. And the interesting thing about that, um, everything about Christmas goes back to religious beliefs, and mainly um, the Christian belief outside of paganism. These chains that uh, the Krampus always carries or wears are a symbol of the binding of the devil from the Christian church, because he was known as the Christmas devil. Uh, Krampus usually tagged along with St. Nicholas, kind of as a a counterpart. After St. Nick would go reward good little boys and girls uh, with treats and presents, the Krampus would then step into the house and swat the naughty kids with bundles of birch branches. But for the especially naughty little bastards, he would have a darker plan in store. Um, See, Krampus also carried a large wicker basket on his back or sometimes a big uh, burlap sack. So if the kids were naughty enough, he would skip the beatings and just throw the kids in the sack and haul them away. Sometimes he would throw the sack or the basket into a lake and just drown the little punks. Um, Other times he would take them away and eat them later. And sometimes, if they were especially bad, he would just drag them straight down to hell, never to be seen again. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You didn't want to see the old Krampus. He sounds like a little bit of a grumpy man. Rob,
2: I I hope you come back next episode because, one, I don't think you're that tasty, and two, I don't want Krampus to drag you back to hell.
1: That's true. Um, but See, Rob has a uh, a last resort. Instead of offering milk and cookies like you would to uh, Santa Claus, you just got to leave this guy some good old-fashioned schnapps. It sounds like uh, Krampus was a bit of a uh, booze hound, so to appease this guy, you would leave him a big glass of schnapps. Or Mike's hard lemonade. (laughs) There you go, Rob. Maybe you can barter with him. Just offer I me mean, Mike's Harder Lemonade. Maybe you guys can become chums. Um, so we've got the Austrian counterpart of St. Nicholas as the Krampus. If you focus over to Germany, we have der Belschnickel. De Belschnickel. Also known as Kris Kringle. Oh. That's where that name comes from, and I didn't freaking know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah, the Belschnickel comes from... Uh, Germany and most German-speaking uh, European countries. Now, the Schnickel is a bit of a lone wolf who traveled without the company of St. Nicholas. He would oftentimes show up about one to two weeks before Christmas and evoke a lot of fear in the children because he already knew two weeks early who was naughty and who was nice. He liked to kind of jump the gun and get things taken care of, and he uh, was very much a planner instead of just waiting till the last minute, instead of waiting till the last minute and Christmas. Children were forced to answer the door when he came in knocking, And we're oftentimes asked to uh, sing him a song or answer a uh, specific riddle for him. Um, The Belschnickle is normally covered in tattered clothes, a bit disheveled, um, worn and ragged, and wearing just various animal furs. He normally wears a mask covering his face. Uh, Sometimes it looks kind of like a gas mask. Um, Other times it's basically just a big wooden mask with, again, a long, gangly tongue just kind of wagging back and forth.
2: So Gene Simmons... Uh,
1: He was basically the Gene Simmons of Christmas. The Belschnickel carries a switch in his hand, which he uses to uh, beat naughty children with. But he also comes prepared for the good little boys and girls with pockets full of candies and cakes and uh, other goodies. He would oftentimes, after walking in the house, toss a handful of nuts or candies or cakes on the floor. And if the kids reacted too quick or if they were too greedy, they would get a series of ass beatings from severe lashings from his switches that he carried. Man. Yeah. Yeah. They also note that the Belschnickel sometimes is a bit of a cross-dresser, and he would oftentimes show up wearing women's clothing.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, cue the ZZ top, I guess. <laughs> um, if you want to skip over the Belschnickel, that's fine, because there's somebody who might just be a little bit nastier um, living in Germany and parts of Italy, and that's his female counterpart known as Frau Perchta. Known as the Bright One, she would show up as one of two forms. Either A, a beautiful young woman um, whose skin was white as snow, just like her name, the Bright One, or she'd show up as a very old, ugly, haggard, wrinkled mess of a woman. She oftentimes is depicted as having one large foot, bigger than the other one, called the Swan Foot. And in traditional folklore, if somebody had one big foot and one small foot, that meant that they were probably a shapeshifter which would then describe her ability to turn from either a beautiful young lady or a very haggard old woman. She was an upholder of hard work and pulling your own weight and uh, contributing to the overall success of your family and their well-being. She would show up sometime during the 12 days of Christmas. Now, let's take a little side note here. The 12 days of Christmas obviously is a song, but it's also um, a period of time between Christmas Day and January 6th. January 6th was known as the Epiphany. Um, We don't think we need to really jump into the religious background of Christmas because everybody knows it. Some people don't want to hear about it. Some do. We're going to respect everybody's uh, beliefs and wishes and just not really dive into it too much. But give me just a minute here. Obviously, Christmas we celebrate uh, most notably for the birth of Christ. January 6th, 12 days later, is known as the Epiphany. And the reason why they call that is because that is the day they had the epiphany that Jesus was actually going to be the Messiah and actually should be somebody they should pay attention to and support. So there you go. That's the epiphany. So Frau Perchta would show up sometime around the 12 days of Christmas and made sure that everybody had been working hard, doing all their chores. And she was especially concerned with... um making sure the young ladies had spun all of their wool for the year before the holidays came around and they weren't um, basically knitting and making, I almost said t-shirts because now it's a sweatshop, uh, making clothing and blankets um, during the holidays because they were supposed to have had all their hard work done before then. So um, if you were a good little boy or girl then the next day after her visit, you might shy, uh, You might find a shiny silver coin in your shoe or under a bucket or somewhere in the house. But if you were bad, you were truly bad, and she just didn't like the things that you were doing because you weren't making enough blankets or you were you know, hiding your leftover wool in the closet, she would take her knife and she would cut open your stomach, she'd pull out all of your guts, all of your intestines, drop them on your feet, right there on the dirty floor, and she would stuff you full of twigs and pebbles and branches and other dirtiest, dirty things that she could bring in from the yard. Ooh. Also, she would check and see if you had eaten anything outside the menu during her feast night. A lot of these people have nights, um, feasts in the evenings that were dedicated to them. If you ate something outside of the typical fish and gruel, and she found out about it? If you were eating little Debbie snack cakes or maybe some cookies or drinking some of Krampus' schnapps, then guess what? She'd cut you back open and shove a bunch of twigs inside your stomach just to make you suffer. Damn. So I don't, yeah, I don't know, man. I think I'd rather have the old Belschnickle show up. yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Perchta uh, is kind of a mean lady. Now, there are some other depictions of uh, Frau Perchta as not being just one person, but actually a cult. And there'd be several Perchta that would travel in packs and basically um, do the same exact stuff that she did, but just in a big group. So Mm. not too fun. Um, Next, uh, staying on the theme of the ladies, we have La Bifania, the Christmas Witch of Italy. Lava Fania is described to be an old woman, uh, wrinkled, hunched over, riding on a broom, ergo the name Christmas Witch. Uh, She carries a hamper on her back, stuffed with candies and cakes for the good little boys and girls and family. And she was covered in black soot because whenever she would visit you on the eve of Epiphany, so Epiphany Eve being January 5th, she would fly down your chimney and stuff candies into the shoes of good little boys and girls. But if you were bad, if you were a naughty boy, she'd simply leave you a piece of coal, some foul-tasting piece of candy. I'm imagining like black licorice or maybe that shitty peanut butter taffy that you'd get at Halloween that was in the orange or black wrapper. Yeah. Yeah. I bet she left a bunch of those for you if you were a bad boy. Um, because La Bafania is such a great housekeeper, before she left, she would sweep your floor for you and rid your house of any bad spirits, bad tidings, um, removing basically all your bad luck from the year and preparing you for a new year. Uh, To keep her happy, you would skip the cookies, you'd skip the milk, and you'd offer her a nice glass of wine and some cheese and sausage. You know, just give her a nice little party platter, let her put her feet up for a minute. And then after she was appeased, why, she would thank you with a smile and she would uh, fly off on her broomstick. Ooh. So she sounds kind of like a nice lady. Yeah.
2: I had also had read that uh, the legend of her had extended all the way back to the time of Jesus. And uh-huh. on the eve that he was being born, when the Magi, the three Magi, were out looking for him, she was looking for him as well, but she got lost and ended up being really irritated that she couldn't find the birthplace of Jesus Christ. So her kind of curse for her failure was to wander the rest of her days or for all eternity trying to find the the you know the birthplace of Christ and then he eventually found her and you know deified her and made her into a saint and that's why you know she would fly around on her broom around christmas time and give gifts and things like that and then there was another tale that she actually lost her child and then yeah. around the time that uh, Jesus was born she thought oh my god the baby JC is my reincarnated boy And uh, then when Jesus grew up, you know, he met her and then was like, I'm going to turn you into a saint. And so that's
1: kind of the tale of uh, the good old witch. Yeah, um, I read that too. He made her kind of a saintly deity and gave her the title of the mother of every child in Italy. So she's kind of like uh, Italy's mother in the end of that story. So. That's kind of kind of cool, man. Um, so we're gonna switch gears and go back to uh, the men real quick here, and we're gonna talk about Pierre Fautard, or Fautard, Fautard. or however you want to pronounce that, Pierre Fautard, Um who's also known as the Whipping Father of France. Pierre was a local innkeeper, or a butcher in some stories, and one night after counting his money and realizing how broke he was, he decided to follow three rich kids traveling um, you know, in the back alleys down the streets on their way to enroll in a boarding school. He and his wife murdered the three children, robbed them of their money, and then chopped them up into little pieces and stewed their remains into a barrel. While St. Nicholas was visiting, he discovered these dastardly deeds, and as a way to punish Pierre, he turned him into his personal assistant who was then forced. Well, I wouldn't say forced. He was then to spend the rest of his days repenting and traveling with St. Nicholas, um, whipping naughty kids who weren't doing as they were supposed to be doing and leaving them with coal as a present instead of candy or cookies. Um, Pierre Fatard is said to have a very sinister face, scraggly hair, a long, bushy, dirty beard, and he is said that he dresses – it is said that he dresses like Saint Nicholas, but his clothes are all black. So, so pretty much – go ahead. The hobo Santa Claus. He's basically the old, dirty hobo Santa Claus. Um, it says he also carries a basket on his back used for kidnapping the kids who were especially naughty and also a whip in his hand to uh, basically keep them in check. So – um lastly I'm going to talk about one more who is uh especially creepy to me and that's Gryla and the Yule Lads hailing in all the way from Iceland. Yar yar. So Gryla is said to be a half troll half ogre looking woman who has hooves for feet, goat horns on top her head and an astonishing 15 tails. And if that's not bad enough she also hell if that's not bad enough she also has a wart covered nose. Ooh. Gryla Gryla lives on a mountain top with her especially old husband and her 13 wicked children, often referred to as the Yule Lads. And these little bastards have some of the funniest, cutest, creepiest names I've ever read. You have Sheepcoat Claude, the Gully Gawk, Stubby, who's a midget, Spoon Licker, Pot Scraper, Bowl Licker, Door Slammer, Scry Gobbler, Sausage Swiper, Window peeper, little pervert, door sniffer, also a pervert, meat hook and candle beggar. They travel down the mountain to the village, and the thirteen kids start kidnapping children to take them back to their homes and cook them in their stew, because they uh, living on a mountain where it's cold. They don't have a lot of food, so they're kind of you know just left over to their own devices here. So, um, they also had a giant cat, known as the Christmas cat, and because of the lack of the food. Because of the lack of food, the Christmas cat only gets to eat once a year, so he would peer through the windows of the houses in the village, and any child who did not get a piece of clothing as a gift from their parents, he would then steal away, tear to shreds, and eat. Now, here's an interesting part to this. Because children in Iceland were so scared and frightened by the legend, in 1746, the Icelandic government actually stepped in and banned parents officially from using Gryla and the Yule Lads as a scare tactic. And they rebranded Gryla and the Yule Lads as more of a merrier bunch who would travel to the village 13 days before Christmas and leave toys and gifts inside the shoes of the children who'd leave them on the window. Sills, so yeah, it's kind of weird. Some people hang stockings, and apparently in Iceland, you would put an empty shoe on your window sill and uh, If you're a good kid, like I said, you'd get a little toy or a little piece of candy or something. um If you were bad, you would just get a rotten potato. <laughs> 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 How bizarre is that? Oh, well, it's better than coal, I guess yeah. um however, the Christmas cat was never accounted for ooh. Yeah, nobody knows whatever happened to the Christmas cat. It's said that he still lurks about today, and that's why kids still beg their parents for at least one pair of socks every Christmas. Ooh, dun dun dun, dun dun dun. And you know, all those are really cool and really creepy. But you say you've got uh, you've got your own little uh, companion of Santa Claus that takes the cake, huh?
2: Oh, I do. That's right, listeners. Forget Krampus and fear. The Kili Kanzaros, or Christmas goblins from hell. Now, <laughs> let's face it: Krampus is a little bitch compared to these little guys, or is it tall guys? See, tales of the Kili Kanzaros were often described either as gigantic hairy demons with a pair of horse legs and boar tusk, or small black creatures that looked an awful lot like tiny satans. Yay! Now, some descriptions labeled them as blind, but their disabilities never got in the way of their favorite hobbies, which included eating frogs and other adorable woodland creatures. And the most important one of all, Sean, spending almost 12 months of the year trying to cut down the world tree from the underworld.
1: Man. So yeah, tell us about the world tree
2: real quick. So the uh, world tree was this tree that you know had its roots all the way down to the underworld and then came up through the Earth realm, and then shot all the way into the heavens, and it actually stopped the heavens from colliding into the world, bringing about the apocalypse.
1: Uh, okay, perfect.
2: Yeah. Now, according to the Greek folklore, the Kili Kanzaros could only make their way to the surface during the 12 days of Christmas, which gave them a quite a bit of time to cause trouble in their subterranean habitat. It is said that the small creatures spend their days sawing back and forth at the world tree... Um and so in other words they spend all year long trying to bring about the apocalypse making them dicks. Now, dicks as luck would have it, every time the goblins are just about to finish their dastardly deed and with their destructive work on the world tree, Christmas dawns and the spells broken allowing these little boogers up into the surface to cause mischief, mayhem and murder however they see fit. Now, unfortunately for them, During their 12-day absence from the underworld, the tree mysteriously heals itself, making their work completely and totally pointless. But, like clockwork, as soon as they are banished back to hell, the Kilikanzaros begin their work to destroy balance all over again, making them
1: still dicks. Dicks. Man, they're like little impish... uh... Sisyphus's yeah wasn't Sisi- Sisyphus yeah. was cursed to uh, push a rock up a hill for all eternity, just to have it roll back down when he got to the very top. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, they deserve it for being little bastards.
2: That's right. Don't worry, Sean. With these little assholes are out and about trying to murder you, there are a few things that you can do. Are you ready?
1: I'm I'm sitting down okay. taking notes, and
2: I think this is the most important one, for, at least for both of us. So one method of warding off the holiday goblins involves tossing a pair of old smelly shoes onto a burning fire. The stink of aged sweat and burning souls is said to repel those creatures, so Sean, we can finally put those old nasty smelly toe shoes we have to good use. <laughs> because those bad boys are going to repel the Kelly Kanzaros. Yeah, those puppies stink sometimes. Yeah. Now, another ingenious Christmas demon repellent task you with leaving a colander on your doorstep at night. And according to legend, the Kilikanzaros will become so obsessed with counting the holes in the colander that they'll totally forget that they were going to murder you in the first place, which I think would be (laughs) an important job for Paula Deen. (laughs)
1: <laughs> now, you're... Paula Dean, yes. she makes spaghetti strainers and uh, Killikin Zaro repellent that's
2: right now you were telling me that uh, the other night the reason why this this is is because uh, they can't count to three something about the the number three is f- like forbidden in their in their uh, their legend and so I, yeah I, they're I, not
1: allowed to say the word three so
2: I imagine these little bastards on a front porch and like oh my god Steve look at this little shiny dish with holes in it uh, little one Two, no, no, no. No. One, two, and then, you know, the other one's like, hey, Phil, come (laughs) here, look at this one. This one's got two in it.
1: And they're just
2: all night long, just sitting there back and forth.
1: Now, that's hilarious. There is
2: one last thing, and unfortunately, if you have a child who was born during the 12 days of Christmas, he or she might run the risk of turning into Achille Kanzaros, which is probably a faith worse than even having a birthday so close to Christmas. But. In order to protect your child from this horrible faith, you must bind them in a wrap made of straw and garlic, and for extra mm-hmm. protection, you would singe one of their toenails. The smell of the burning toenail would apparently send the demons running in the opposite direction. So, <laughs> thankfully, no matter what kind of trouble these little bastards decide to sow during their 12 days of freedom, they are destined to become trapped once again, bound in an eternal loop of hard work and chaos, never actually managing to bring about the apocalypse, so we are safe. But maybe we should stock up on Sean's used toe shoes and colanders from Paula (laughs) Dean.
1: You know, I still have two pair of toe shoes we could probably throw in there if we needed to. so do I. (laughs) Very nice. Very, very nice. Well, there you have it, guys. Um, Santa Claus and his motley crew. So I think the last thing we're going to talk about now is uh, a very peculiar lyric from one of the most famous Christmas songs of all time, and that song is, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. And if you guys remember, um, the lyric goes something like this.
2: There'll be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago.
1: So Preston and I asked each other exactly what that might mean, why you would tell ghost stories uh, on Christmas instead of you know, Halloween. That seems a lot more suited. And the reason for that is back in the Victorian era, ghost stories were told to remind each other of um, your misdoings throughout the year or to remind us of loved ones or to just kind of put a little bit of scare into our souls and remind us that we're still mortal and uh, that we're not quite as invincible as we think we are. Another reason for that is uh, during the 12 days of Christmas, we just told you guys a little bit ago, that's from um, you know, Christmas Day until the 6th of uh, January. So it takes place over New Year's, and during that time of the 12 days, uh, we're reminded as the year comes to an end, um, what we didn't accomplish, people we lost, um, follies and misdoings, and it reminds us to kind of do better next time, do better next year, kind of a new start. But during the 12 days of Christmas, right around that time, we normally have the winter solstice. And the legend says that during the solstice, around the uh, 21st to the 23rd of December, the sun becomes frozen. And because the sun becomes frozen, it can't take uh, its normal path. It can't take its normal orbit. So your days get shorter and your nights get longer. Because there's so much darkness, and because of that special time where the sun has been imprisoned, it also thins the veil between the land of the living and the land of the dead, making that veil so thin, actually, that ghosts can then cross over into the land of the living and uh, settle some unfinished scores or take care of unfinished business, uh, visit people. And that in itself is kind of indicative and... um, inspired Charles Dickens to write The Christmas Carol, which you have Ebenezer, who's visited by several different spirits, reminding him to quit being such an asshole, clean up his act, and, uh, you know, be a better person in life. So that's a short story, short explanation for uh, where that lyric came from.
2: The the only thing that I would like to add that I didn't know, but when we were researching this, I found out that uh, Christmas was on its way out um during the the year that Charles Dickens wrote that classic tale And it was Mm -hmm. that story that saved Christmas in Europe and made it popular again, because they were about, you know what, screw Christmas, we're not going to celebrate this anymore. They read that tale of Ebenezer Scrooge, and they were like, Christmas is
1: the shit, and then Christmas became popular again. (laughs) No kidding. I didn't know that. That's actually really awesome. So uh, with that being said, guys, we thought we'd continue the Christmas tradition and leave you with a little ghost story of our own that we came across Um, you know, to kind of keep the Christmas spirit alive and keep the, uh, the scary ghost stories and the tales of the glory of Christmases long, long ago. So we'd like to, uh, say first of all, thank you for listening. Thank you for being with us. Merry Christmas.
2: Happy Hanukkah.
1: Happy Kwanzaa.
2: Happy New Year.
1: Happy Holidays. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad for, um... me hoping I can pronounce that correctly, but yeah, whatever your beliefs are, guys or lack thereof, we hope they are merry, happy, whatever. Happy Chris Mahana Hanukansika. There you go. Yeah, whatever your beliefs may be, um, we hope they're merry and happy, and uh, you guys have a great holiday season. So we will catch you guys next time around. Thanks for listening.
2: Catch you on the flip side. Wubba wubba dub dub. <laughs> Listeners, it's now time to sit down by the fire, relax, take a seat, and listen to Sean and Preston tell stories of a spooky
0: Christmas.
2: My parents and I lived in a small home that was around 90 years old. It was in a small town called Bluffton in the northeast part of Indiana. The year would have been 1996. We lived there from the time I was seven years old to the time I was 19. From the very day that we moved in, I felt that I was not alone. At night, I would lie in bed with the intense feeling that I was being watched. One year around Christmas time, I was having a friend spend the night. The heat had just shut off briefly, and she and I were sitting in the living room watching television when the temperature dropped substantially. As I rose to turn up the heat, the Christmas tree began to shake violently. Ornaments were falling off left and right, and she and I were terrified we ran upstairs and lay down on my bed. My white cat curled up with us and my door was opened slightly. When I gazed out into the dark hallway, I was horrified to see a tall white figure running down the hall. I turned to my friend and she acknowledged that she had seen the exact same thing. She never spent the night ever again. Years had passed and things were uneventful. I became severely ill with a chronic illness and was frequently hospitalized. That's when things began again. After coming to near death twice, I began to be able to sense things that no one else could. I once again felt the nagging sensation of being watched. I ignored it this time, and the illness went into remission. Once again the activity, if you could call it that, stopped. When I was eighteen, I began to experience things like never before. Upon the death of my beloved grandfather, I had become preoccupied with death and frequently visited cemeteries. That's when I noticed an increase in activity. It started out with the voices. It was like a television had been turned on and there was a flurry of voices coming from downstairs, or even more frightening, outside of my room. My parents were always asleep when this would happen, and their room was right next to mine with a vent, so I could hear my parents sleeping next door. I would get up and check all the rooms, but there was no TV on, nothing to account for the voices. I was getting more and more scared as the voices started happening every night. Then that's when I started seeing shadow figures. They varied in size but they were always human shaped except for one. One night I was walking out of my room with my cat in my arms when she began to growl ferociously. She's never done this. She's normally an extremely docile cat and I was shocked to see her acting so. That's when I looked down the hall and saw a shadow the size of a large dog run down the hall quickly we don't own a dog. We had owned one before I became ill, but we were forced to give it away due to the fact that we could no longer provide it with the proper care that it deserved. My cat growled and growled until the shadow disappeared. For all the times that I saw shadow figures, they never took the form of a dog again. But from that point on, the shadow figures were strictly human shape, some tall, some child size, but they frightened me to death. I would lie in my bed at night, tortured by the fear that I was going insane because no one else was experiencing this. When I confessed my experiences to my parents, they took me to a psychiatrist who could find nothing wrong with me. I continued seeing the shadow figures until the last few months that we lived there. As the months went on, I began feeling a dark aura spreading around the place. It was a heaviness, an uncomfortable feeling that I could never quite shake. Sometimes I would get frustrated with whatever was there. I would leave her room and would turn off the light. The light switch would make an audible click every time someone turned it on or off. Each time I would shut it off, the click would echo, and I would turn around, and the lights would be back on. Finally, I said in an annoyed voice, Quit playing games! Could you shut the light off, please? And sure enough, right before my eyes, the light would shut off. One time, I shut the light off in my bedroom before I left the house. When my parents and I came home, my dad said to me, What did I tell you about leaving the light on? And I replied, But I shut it off when I left. He had nothing to say to that. Another time, I was lying in bed when I heard the audible noise of something sitting down in my desk chair. Sure enough, when I sat up, there was a visible imprint in the center of the chair where someone would be sitting. Things would get so bad sometimes that I would be forced to sleep in my parents' bedroom like I was a child. In August of 2008, we moved to a new house, far away from the old house. I had not experienced anything abnormal here, and the aura is much lighter. Perhaps it was my dabbling in the paranormal that had caused all the grief in that house. But one night, I went back there to get some of my things, and as I was leaving, I saw dark figures running across the yard. I drove away and never looked back. A story... From Caitlin Williams. The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. You have two ways. One, email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's Pixelated Paranormal at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we have that set up too. Dial us at 707-523-4263. Again, that's 707-523-4263. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and
0: the screen
2: jingle linga linga Womba devil love love